Attention! You see, old friend, I brought more soldiers than you did. Welcome back. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Sunday Wire. I'm your host, Patrick Henningsen. We're streaming out live on the Alternate Current Radio Network and also at 21stCenturyWire.com. Now, our next guest, uh, he is a writer, uh, he's a staff writer at American Free Press. Uh, he's also got his own blog, The Truth Hound, uh, and he's very much a fixture at uh, the annual Bilderberg meetings. Uh, his name is Mark Anderson. Uh, writing for American Free Press this week, uh, was at the inauguration uh, in the, uh, I believe he had a gold ticket, and it was in the uh, the inner sanctum, as it were, uh, up there on Capitol Hill. Hello, Mark. Hello, Patrick. Great to be here on your show. Yeah, so you, did, did, did you have the golden ticket? Were you in the, uh, the inner circle there this week? <laughs> I have the teal ticket in Section 8. I was slightly to the right and reasonably close to the front, Let's just say they weren't front row seats, but I wasn't in the bleachers either. I couldn't complain, and so I, I made do with what I had. Could, could you? Uh, were you close enough to see the scowl on Michelle Obama's face? Uh. Uh, the angle was a little tough, but they did have the big screens on each side of the Capitol building's uh, balcony there. So whatever I couldn't see with the naked eye, I could easily see on the big screens, and the answer is yes, I did. And what, 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 just tell us visually what were your overall impressions, Mark? You know, what are the things that really stuck out uh, to you when you were there? Well, of course, the, the eagerness and anticipation of the people in the audience was the biggest thing. They're really looking for changes and paradigm shifts in the American body politic, in the way our country is run. Um, everybody, whether they have firsthand knowledge or just a sense that something is wrong. Either way, they know that we need a major paradigm shift and change, and they're hoping to get that with the Trump administration. It's in terms of the event itself beyond the people, uh, you know, everything was about 15 or 20 minutes behind schedule. There was a slight spitting of rain, but mostly it held off. The Marine Band is playing these soaring John Philip Sousa marches just at their very best, sounding great. And uh, Trump got there looking you know, kind of sober, somber, if you will, serious though, you know, not, not, um, not detached, but, but, uh, one lady from Connecticut described it as a look of humility, which is in the online story I wrote on AmericanFreePress.net. And so they looked very regal, the Trump family, Donald, his wife, especially his, his wife in a stunning blue outfit, a very regal look, um, very polished, um, very much serious, ready to get to business. And um, everything went off like clockwork. Uh, there was a slight interruption in some areas, including the one I was sitting in mainly, of protesters that erupted um, saying some vague things, rather vague, right as Donald Trump was taking the actual oath from Chief, Chief Justice John Roberts. So there was, there was some you know, interruptions and things that a lot of the people in the audience found to be pretty offensive, given the timing and the gravity of the event. 
But overall, it, it was, you know, it was a spectacle to see, even if I wasn't there as a reporter, just as a citizen, it was something that I um, found to be a unique experience. And um, it did convey at least a reasonable change in the outlook of the country. Uh, of course, the mainstream press is, again, being quite antagonistic before, during, and especially after this uh, Trump inaugural address. But I think they're mischaracterizing it, and I can point out the specific ways they are. But well, let's, uh, uh, let's let's um, let's roll a clip that you uh, you provided. Just, so it's kind of interesting because you you recorded this within the crowd, so you, we can all watch this on TV. But you you've done it from inside the crowd, so you can hear people talking as well. It's a little more atmosphere. But here's the Trump speech. It's just a clip of it. We'll play, and we'll come back and get your commentary on the content of uh, of this presidential inauguration speech. But this is uh, clip number one in our first batch of clips. This is the Trump speech. Uh, go ahead and roll this if we got it. With not even a thought about the millions and millions of American workers that were left behind. One by one, the, the wealth shutter, of our factories were shuttered and left our shores. From their homes and then redistributed all across the world. But that is the past. And now we are looking only to the future. assembled here today are issuing a new decree to be heard in every city, in every foreign capital, and in every hall of power. From this day forward, a new vision will govern our land. From this day forward, it's going to be only America first. We'll, we'll, we'll cut it there. I mean, uh, that that was really the thrust of it, Mark, uh, that America first, definitely mm -hmm. putting an explanation point on everything there. Um, you know, what are your, your thoughts on this, uh, the content of this speech? Well, what's important to point out here, Patrick, is that afterwards, the Washington Post and New York Times, the twin flagship establishment rags, that uh, proclaimed to be the newspapers of record for the United States and much of the Western world, both called Donald Trump's speech dark. The front of the New York Times says, Trump, sworn in, issues a call. This American carnage stops. Sub subhead, uniquely dark vision of the U.S. And the Washington Post putting, quote, framing his ascension as transformational and global in its impact, Trump delivered a dark inaugural address in which he pledged fealty to all Americans. But he made little overt attempt to sue the nation wounded from arguably the ugliest election season of modern times. So right there, the papers are mischaracterizing and missing the point. For Donald Trump to say in what he actually said in the clip that we just listened to, what matters now is the future. And therefore, he's looking ahead and saying this future should be one of America first. And that means restoring our economy. That evidently means less of a military footprint or at least a more careful, calculated, you know, rational way of conducting our military. What Donald Trump actually was talking about was what most people would define and everyone I talked to defined 
as a bright vision, as coming to a new paradigm, as looking ahead with hope and looking ahead with optimism. And that's clearly what he meant in this clip you showed here, that the past is the past. Now we're looking ahead. And another thing about the papers that's so misleading, the mainstream papers, is they're saying, first, that, he, that Trump had a dark vision. When Trump talked about carnage in our big cities and crime in our streets, it wasn't Donald Trump's vision in that, in that dark topic. It was simply an acknowledgment of reality in many of our cities. And so to the extent that Trump had any vision, it was a bright vision, not a dark one. And to the extent that he talked about carnage and crime in our cities, he wasn't being a visionary. To talk about a vision talk, means to talk about looking to the future. He was talking about the here and now, the reality of the crime in our cities. So Trump, to the extent he talked about a vision, it was a bright one. And to the extent he talked about crime in our cities, it wasn't being a visionary or having a vision at all. It was simply acknowledging reality. So these papers still aren't over the fact that Trump even won. They're, they're not even past that yet. <laughs> and so, so they look for everything they can to mischaracterize. And it's really... The media's credibility, the mainstream, is wearing so thin already. I can't believe they resort to this ignorant, uh, myopic kind of writing because everybody who was there is going to see this and go, that's not how it was. That's not what Trump said. That's not what he meant. I mean, don't they know that a lot of people are going to watch his speech on their own and they're going to read this and, and go, what? Uh, and it's not that I'm so pro-Trump so much as they're so anti-Trump. Right. I, you know, I strive to be objective. I strive to look at his uh, cabinet nominees with a skeptical eye. You know, I'm not swept away in some sort of, um, uh, you know, popular figure and the cult of personality. And, I, and I'm just another guy that's like a, uh, a groupie to a rock star. I'm not that way. But reflecting that event on January 20th, it was a positive event. It was a bright vision. To report it accurately would be the exact opposite of what the Post and the Times are saying. There's two, there's two things I want to point out that I thought were pretty uh, amazing in terms – I never heard, would hear this from a, a president, let, let alone an incoming president, right? Um, basically saying that, uh, uh, you know, Washington has enriched itself while the people have become poor. And so those have come to Washington to enrich themselves. I mean, that was really powerful, putting – with all the people behind him sitting – the Dick Cheney's of the world, Dick Cheney, Bush, uh, Clintons, the you know the people who have enriched themselves through government, and and that to me was powerful. The other thing that that was powerful, Mark, was he said that uh, this is now about uh, you know you are in control of this government. The government is not in control of you. That it, it's a very simple concept, but yet something you will never hear in in, in that stark of term. Uh, uttered from a politician, and some people might call that populism, whatever you want to call that. I don't think uh, that's – how can that be bad on anyone's ears if they're living in a democratic uh, society? Oh, absolutely. True. We we have to concede that it's not easy to deliver on such a broad sweeping statement that we're not just transferring power, like Trump said, from one president to another, and we're not just transferring power – Trump said, from one party to another, he said, and it's in my article, and, and you've heard it in the speech, we're transferring power from the government back to the people, 
presumably he probably means the states too, um, you know, a kind of devolution of power, a little a little decentralization of power, less mm-hmm. centralization. And you, a person can make good on that. It won't be easy. And of course, we have to hold Trump to his word. But here again is where um, he is telling people something very important, something that needs to be said. And as you said, he's saying it in front of people that have done largely the opposite. They've worked with a highly centralized regime. They've encouraged that. George W. Bush, who was there with his wife, Laura, Barack Obama, uh, some tweaks here and there, but pretty much the same thing. Uh, Even Jimmy Carter, it's a little harder to remember his record. He's still kicking. He was there with Rosalind. And uh, and Bill and Hillary Clinton need we say more, but <laughs> but when it comes to the uh, what Trump said specifically about Washington has enriched itself at the expense of everyone else, in a way you could say that's a matter of opinion. But here again, the Washington Post for the Sunday, January sec- January twenty second paper, excuse me, January twenty two, puts in here that. Um, Oh, it's not true. They have their fact checker out. They're putting their fact checker column against an inaugural address. You know, an inaugural address isn't really intended to be a studiously factual kind of speech to begin with. It's intended. Of course to be- not. It's a, it's a symbolic uh, uh, address. That's all. And to, to, they're fact checking the inaugural address. Yes, an article that's probably two thousand words, and it oh says it says in here that it quotes Trump. Trump as saying, quote, Washington flourished, but the people did not share in its wealth. Politicians prospered, but the jobs left and the factories closed. And then it goes on to say that that's basically not true in the fact checker column about an inaugural address by saying that a lot of people, computer nerds and technicians and engineers are employed by the military industrial complex, by the intelligence agencies. But see, that's you can read that two ways. Number one, that's not going to result in a tremendous amount of employment. It will be a notable uptick, and some of it is good paying. But but you're actually talking about an enlarged bureaucracy. And so in a way, Trump is right that, that the Washington centralized regime has grown the bureaucracy, more intel contractors, more intel full-time employees – uh, and yes, engineers and and computer nerds and programmers and you know some different people getting employment, but overall that's that's enhancing the size and power of the Washington establishment and its contractors. So Trump is still, in most respects at least, basically right that the bureaucracy and the centralized power has grown. Yes, some employees were added. Yes, some people are getting some income that's disposable income and that helps the economy but it's it's really not for the average working class american middle class american older younger they're still not really benefiting uh so just because washington sees an uptick in that kind of employment doesn't really translate into the overall american society benefiting that much from all these years of centralized power and the endless war on terror. See, so again, there's this mischaracterization, and it's really risky for WAPO, the Washington Post, as it's called. Some say Washington Washington Compost is another name, but it's really risky here. I mean, their, their credibility is already so thin. It, it's amazing how brazen they are when they should know that they've got to you know, really dot their I's and cross their T's and not say things that the average person can so easily see as bogus and and misleading. I'm shocked that they would even attempt 
to write a piece like that or put out so to, to fact check a speech. Uh, like an inaugural an, speech, yeah. An inaugural speech. You know, here's the bottom line, Mark. Trade deficit between the United States and every other country in the world. Uh, we have a huge trade deficit. It's getting it's growing by the year, okay? Manufacturing jobs, offshoring uh, in droves, and this is a process that's been going on for 40-plus years. Uh, so for the Washington Post to stand there and say that uh, somehow the, uh, you know, the real wages going down, cost of living going up, what are these mm-hmm. people talking about? They must be uh, whatever, whatever they're smoking. Uh, I'd love to have a, a, a toke of it because it sounds <laughs> fantastic. Um, it's just there's no basis in reality. Um, so and, and this is the same Washington Post that, that run, ran two fake news stories. Uh, before the new year, one about um, this network, proper not uh, Russian propaganda network in, in the alternative media, uh, and lambasting top award-winning journalists like Robert Perry and others, and also a fake news story about Russia hacking the Vermont power grid. Those are just two examples of two fake stories run t- with the intention to damage the president-elect. Uh, and to to further a conspiracy theory uh, that Russia somehow hacked the U.S. elections, um, which John McCain walked back this morning on George Stephanopoulos, by the way. I have that oh. clip. We'll, we'll play that in the next. Uh, actually, sh- while we're here, let's roll that. You got that John McCain clip. Let's listen Go to right this. Ahead. Yes. Yeah, he's, wa- he's walking it back. Listen to this. And on the issue of Russia, are you confident that all these investigations, the investigations by the intelligence agencies now, the investigation by the FBI, the congressional investigations, are going to get to the bottom of what happened in this election? It may, but uh, the best way to do it is with a uh, select committee or a select or a commission. Uh, what the Russians did was imperil the very fundamental of, uh, of a democracy, and that is to affect the election. Now, I don't believe there's any evidence that they did, but the attempt was very sophisticated. The attempt was far, far much more far-reaching than we had ever anticipated. And so, Okay, so... so- so McCain said there's no evidence they did, but the attempt was far-reaching. I mean, talk about doublespeak, Mark. But he's is so McCain, who is championing this conspiracy theory with the Washington Post, is now walking it back. I think we're going to see more of this kind of retraction on this uh, this whole Russia thing uh, as the weeks go on. Indeed. To say that they made this attempt, a in-depth attempt, and then to say, on the other hand, that there's no evidence is <laughs> is contradictory. If you never, if there's no evidence, then they couldn't have made an attempt. Right, exactly. <laughs> but you know, what's? I'll let you continue, Mark. But what's what's more profound about all this is that the you know these people who call themselves journalists, like uh, George Stephanopoulos, who's basically a a Clinton staffer who's been given a peachy media job. They're all basically Washington staffers who are in the revolving door between Washington uh, bureaucracy and the mainstream media. But Stephanopoulos won't even pull up McCain on that um, bit of uh, bad logic, which he's in doublespeak, which he's it's obvious doublespeak. And these so-called journalists will not ever hold them to task. They just let it go. And they move on to the next topic. There's no critical thinking going on at all. And so the, the net result, Mark, is that the public continue to be somehow brainwashed um, by these media operatives, these gatekeepers like Stephanopoulos, like Chuck Todd, like Fareed Zachariah, 
Zakaria with CNN. They, they, they do the same thing. They basically yeah. they whitewash the issues, and then they allow the politicians to come on, lie, use double speak, contradict themselves, and there's no comeback whatsoever. Yeah, Fareed, of course, being a CFR, Chicago Council on Foreign Relations uh, pillar, he's one of their apparatchiks. And, you know, you've got people like Pete Williams that have been a, a journalist for a while. He used to be a Pentagon spokesman. That revolving door has been going on longer than people realize. I remember seeing Fareed on one YouTube interview when he actually talked directly with Vladimir Putin, I believe. And you put these people up against others that have some, you know, grit and have some tenacity, and they just fall apart. Uh, the George Stephanopoulos of the world and the Fareed Zacharias of the world can't really handle real uh, comebacks and real debate and real information. They they pose as these apostles of, of news and information, but when they're put to the test or they have a chance to expose someone like McCain a little better, like you just said, when, when, the, when, the, when the stakes are high and the opportunities in front of them, they, they fail. They, they, they can't hold up to the heat. Uh, Zechariah could not take on Vladimir Putin. He, he could not get him to uh, concede or show him to be a bad guy. Putin was too much for him. And Stephanopoulos had a great opportunity to uh, score one for the contradictory statements of John McCain and didn't take that opportunity. So it just shows how weak need these guys are and how opportunistic they are in uh, being, you know, propagandists of the wrong sort and only posing as objective newsmen. And, and so while we're here on the subject, um, let me just uh, play another similar clip, okay? This is, uh, okay, this is Jim, Jim Shahudo. I think, yeah, CNN, Jim Shahudo. So, so when CNN arranges its panels this whole week, Mark, it's been like all 10 people all hating, hating on Trump, basically. There's not one person. Rarely there'll be like one, maybe Kaylee McElhaney, uh, one of these Trump's persons there, against nine other people just piling in uh, to, again, try to delegitimize the president. But here's one of CNN's um, operatives. So him and Anderson Cooper, Jim Shahudo, Anderson Cooper, Wolf Blitzer, they're, they're totally out of sorts over the fact still that uh, Donald Trump challenged the um, wisdom of the intelligence agencies and their assessment about the Russian hack. But the spin is so subtle. I'm going to play this Shudo clip. Listen to this. It's just amazing how they spin. This is CNN, by the way, spinning who who are pushed out this fake dossier uh, last week. Okay, and Jim Shahudo was one of the guys pushing it. And notice how he doesn't talk about the dossier. He just talks about oh, oh, how dare Donald Trump question the great men and women of the intelligence agency? Go ahead and roll this CNN clip. Listen to this. This is. I want to get to Mr. Shudo. Mr. Shudo, I just want to say this before I get to you. I, I, listen, I agree. That's fine. I think the bigger issue is lying to the American people. We have a responsibility to have an informed electorate, and he is misinforming the American people yeah, and misleading it. Let's ahead, just forget crowd size for a moment, yeah, yeah. because it doesn't really matter. Right. There was a big, massive lie told about it today, but that doesn't matter. In the hierarchy of inaccuracies told today, the far more important one, in my view, is that the president himself went to the CIA, and, and he lied, I suppose I can use that word, or he told a narrative contrary to the facts about who created this dispute with his own intelligence agencies, which was him, and we have numerous 
public statements via Twitter and on videotape of him criticizing, disparaging, undermining his own intelligence community because he did not like its assessment that Russia interfered with the election because it's apparently his re read that that makes his presidency less legitimate. That's an important lot, right? Let's play it. Uh, so let's the play it. And I got a thought about when we come out of finish. Here it is. I think it was uh, disgraceful, disgraceful that the intelligence agencies allowed any information that turned out to be so false and fake out. I think it's a disgrace. And I say that, and I say that, and that's something that Nazi Germany would have done and did do. I think it's a disgrace. That information that was false and fake and never happened got released to the public. Okay. That was then. Uh, that was what uh, over just over a week ago, and then this is today at the CIA. The reason you're my first stop is that, as you know, I have a running war with the media. They are among the most dishonest human beings on earth. <laughs> and they sort of made it sound like I had a feud with the intelligence community. And I just want to let you know, the reason you're number one stop, uh, it is exactly the opposite. Exactly. And they understand that, too. Go, Jim. Well, that's not true, what he just said, right? I mean, we have the public statements where he criticized and disparaged the intelligence community. But even that, well, first of all, that actually is important because he was willing to go public and, and undermine intelligence agencies that he and the country depends on to keep the country safe, whether it's against Russia or terror attacks or North Korean missiles, uh, because he didn't like their assessment on, on Russian interference in the hacking. That's important. So you, you talk about lies. You, you put your press, your sp spokesman out there to lie about crowd size. What if Donald Trump orders troops into battle and they die, right? Do we trust the White House to speak about that honestly if they're going to lie about this? Right? That's what, if, what if the intelligence... Okay, okay. That's about enough of that. So isn't that a bit rich, Mark? CNN talking to the public about lying about things like war. Because um, I have a list of things that CNN has done here in front of me that is so long. I, I'll start in 1989 and I move all the way ahead to uh, to the present day. It's a breathtaking list of lies, fabrications, half-truths, made-up stuff designed to push uh, uh, illegal wars of aggression, basically. And mm -hmm. so, so what is Jim Shahudo there all up in arms? Trump has a right. We all have a right. The, the CIA is made up of, of Americans. And if you elect a president, you expect that president is going to get the best out of that agency that, that he possibly can. And if that means criticizing them because they haven't produced a shred of evidence to back up a claim that a foreign country hacked our elections, uh, then so be it. And they deserve all the criticism they, they can handle as a result. And if that means breaking up the agency and building it up again from scratch, then so be it. Because this is the American people run the CIA. It's not the other way around. And that's, that's a fundamental point. And I think that is kind of being articulated uh, with this new president in a way. I know that might not happen, Mark, realistically, but... I think CNN is the ultimate gatekeeper for the Pentagon. We all know this. And to, for them to have a, 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 a dismiss the public out of hand, to, to dismiss voters, to dismiss the uh, new president 
out of hand in favor of the intelligence agencies, to me, shows that we have a serious fa- problem of fascism in, ingrained in the institutions in Washington, Mark. Yes, uh, a weaponized media, which is the title of a book I'm working on, uh, there's my cheap shameless plug, It where the media is in alliance with the military-industrial complex, as Eisenhower defined it a long time ago as he was leaving office. But Trump had the tenacity to talk about a similar thing before he was even sworn into office, before he became the official president. He's already been challenging in a more direct fashion this military-industrial media complex. We can add media to the descriptor here. Mm-hmm. And if Trump is sincere in wanting the government to be controlled by the people, it's a natural fit, a natural thing for him to say to the CIA, look, you're giving me bogus information, you're, you're releasing information that's bogus. That seems to be a way of saying, me and the people who are my real ally This is not going to benefit us. If you're going to be an antagonist just for the sake of being an antagonist, if you're going to be an adversary of a sitting president, that means you're also an adversary of the people under Trump's understanding of how the presidency should be run. So Trump, it could be interpreted, is looking out for the presidency himself, of course, and the people by extension if we're to take him at his word in terms of his credo, how he thinks the government should run. So therefore, if the CIA is acting like an enemy of the people and the presidency, they're the ones that have to be reined in. The problem is not Trump. The problem is the CIA. We got McCain's backpedaling. There never was any solid evidence that Russia hacked hacked us to begin with. But as I've always said, Patrick, if our election machines and our election databases are so vulnerable then they're inadvertently exposing the fact that, as we've been saying all along, electronic voting machines are hackable, are they can be penetrated, therefore our elections can be stolen by anyone, not just Russia. So they've shot themselves in the foot admitting, hey, like we've been saying all along, uh, Heart InterCivic and ESNS, Ivotronic voting machines, make our elections stealable, hackable, vulnerable. So th- mm. they're, they're shooting themselves in the foot here. Uh, we were told these machines were foolproof. Yeah, absolutely. That, that, that's a very good point, Mark, right there. So in in a way, by taking this line, they're kind of exposing the uh, ridiculousness of the whole electronic voting thing. And if you think about how the electronic voting machine came into being, it was really on the strength or on the back of the uh, controversial 2000 presidential election uh, with uh, George Bush and Al Gore. And I know they'd use scanning machines and there were sort of diabolic type, you know, with the, you know, fill in the dots sort of scanners. I know those have been used as well. Yes. Uh, and they have a margin of error too, by the way. But the, the, this whole thing of electronic screen voting and all that, that is inherently flawed in my opinion. And yes, it can be hacked in many different ways. And if they keep going, it will eventually be networked to the Internet. Let's not kid ourselves, Mark. Um, everything's going to the cloud. And they'll send those voting machines to the cloud eventually. Um, and then someone like Jeff Bezos at Amazon or Mark Zuckerberg or Bill Gates or one of these clowns will say it's absolutely perfectly safe we have a multi-billion dollar system it's totally secure you can trust us 
in the Silicon yeah. Valley, you know. Yes, but, right at right after their Bilderberg meeting, where those ex, those exact people that you just listed, uh, where they meet uh, each year, and they're usually there, and I'm sure that's the kind of things they talk about. Uh, matter of fact, I have pretty good evidence that it's precisely these kind of uh, techno plans and networking and, and these kind of paradigm shifting changes, like you just described, Patrick. That's kind of the sinew of the Bilderberg meetings. That's why they bring all these different parties together to network and to bring things to the next level for their globalization. And naturally, that's what they would do. And that's what, in fact, what they do do at Bilderberg and other related trilateral Atlantic Council, Brookings, different meetings that are part of the alphabet soup uh, network there. But yes, it's um, it's very interesting. Uh, Trump has, you know, to kind of start to start summarizing what we're discussing here. Trump has really outed the media. They're trying to get him back. They they don't want to accept the fact that he got elected. They they don't want to drop the Putin narrative, no matter how thin it is, no matter how unsubstantiated it is. This these are acts of desperation, and. Uh, we're not just turning a corner with Donald Trump, and there's a lot that remains to be seen there. We've got to keep our objectivity, of course. We're turning a corner in the media realm. We're, tur- we're, uh, we're turning the corner in a lot of ways. These are promising times. These are also perilous times. But uh, Donald Trump has given a lot of people hope. You probably have some other clips there of people I talked to. Yes. These, were, th- yes. these were unrehearsed. These were randomly picked. There was no favoritism. Uh, people are hungry for the kind of changes Trump spoke about in his inaugural address. Uh, it's, it doesn't matter what Mark Anderson thinks of his address. These people that were there are looking for something, and they think they see it in Donald Trump. Our job as journalists, of course, is to monitor it. But you can't help but share in some of the revelry a little bit. I mean, considering what we've had up till now in this country, there is at least a reasonable ray of hope here. It's just that we have to stick to the facts. Well, let, let's play a couple of those clips. Um, I've got one here. We'll start with John. This is a gentleman named John. Uh, go ahead and roll this. That's, uh, I think it's clip number two in the in uh, in the inauguration batch. But listen to this. Here's one. Mark Anderson, American Free Press, and I'm right after the inauguration, 20 January 2017, right outside Capitol Hill, and I'm speaking to John Medved. And where are you from, John? I'm from uh, Golden, Colorado. Wonderful. Uh, what did you think of the inaugural speech? Anything jump out at you for Mr. Donald J. Trump, the new I think, president? I think Mr. Uh, Trump, our president, said everything that everybody's been thinking for the last eight years and been so frustrated with. And finally, finally, it feels like the sun came out and we can go ahead and think what we really think and try to make our country great again. Sunshine even on a cloudy day, as they say, huh? I think the Lord blessed them, and I think it was divine intervention because he won when even Vegas uh, bet against him. Uh, any other final comments? That anything specific about his speech that you want to point out? I think that he spoke in one concept and one vernacular only, and that was to unite the American people and to bring everybody in under one roof, not to be in any way, shape, or form dejected, but to be part of the United States of America. God bless America. Wow, this was quite a lot said there in a short space of time, Mark. That was a good summary there. Yeah, you'll notice that he talked about the sun coming out, a ray of hope kind of thing. There again is that stark and sharp contrast, excuse me, with the media talking about, in unison, the Times and the Post, dark vision, carnage, dark vision. No one else, who, no one else who wasn't virulently anti-Trump saw that at all. 
So these reporters are going in there with a chip on their shoulder, with predisposed opinions, which is against all the cardinal rules of straight reporting that I try to steadfastly practice. And, you know, it's not easy for anyone. We all get caught up in the hoopla sometimes. But, you know, it's uh, journalism itself is in crisis here. One wonders, I've been wondering, and maybe you have been too, Patrick, what's going on in the journalism schools, I wonder now, the Medill School of Journalism in Northwestern, what must they be discussing, the Columbia Journalism Review, the trade magazines, these organizations like the Society of Professional Journalists and, and these other trade organizations, what must they be discussing now, or what should they be discussing, because they've got some serious soul-searching to do in terms of just exactly what is a reporter what well, are it, why are we here? Why do we print these papers at all? What is the point? It, yeah, yeah. I, you know what? I I don't think that they're uh, taking much of this to heed. I think they're just <laughs> pretty much continuing on as business as usual. I just saw Frank Cessno, uh, who is the head of the media department of George Washington University, and he's on CNN's panels as one of their media guys. Uh, and so he's on there. He, he was basically talking up the, the fake Russian hack for months uh, on CNN. This guy's a, a terrible role model. And yet he's in charge of educating uh, journalists in the Washington, D.C., you know, top students in that, in that Washington, D.C. area. Uh, so, you know, people like that. I've had my own experience with uh, the top journalism school. It was maybe number two, I would say, number two or three in the country um, that uh, I don't think they liked my the fact that I was talking about uh, conservative and liberal issues or that I had adopted some libertarian um, positions on things, and that pretty much uh, spiked my application uh, for a postgraduate degree. They, I, I didn't even get an interview, you know. And I've I've been published in some some of the top uh, worldwide, some of the top publications, but it it didn't matter um, because the politics in journalism schools in America is very narrow, and it's very regimented. And if you're not thinking groupthink, you're out. You know, the, the, you will not get in the door, period. Okay, that's what's going on in American journalism schools. It's and very political. It's very political. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's why I asked the question, given the reality you just so accurately described, Patrick, is what we're seeing now going to be enough to change that culture, to get them to say, hey, wait a minute, our credibility is sinking faster than the Titanic with three iceberg holes in it. This, this, is, this is crisis 101. And we, if we don't arrest this down, downhill spiral or this free fall, we are in serious S-H-I-T-T. <clears throat> and so, but I, I think you might be right that even, even this might not be enough. They're so intransigently arrogant and so um, stubborn to, to adopt a broader view, to allow more libertarian constitutional populist views, to broaden their horizons, to be more factual and observational and not be so predisposed with their opinions, and and so on and so forth, to, to more clearly label news from opinion, you know, to reinstall some of those firewalls. Uh, and I understand the idea of advocacy journalism, where people know ahead of time that you might have a certain point of view. American Free Press is guilty of it. Others are, too. But by the same token, a lot of those firewalls probably need to be put back, maybe in the alternative media, too, but definitely in the mainstream press, uh, that this is news and this is opinion and that there has to be some separation there, some discipline. There, There's a total lack of discipline in what the media is doing. 
I, I agree, Mark. And, you know, I don't I don't think it's going to improve, actually. On one hand, I think this is very good for people like us. Um, the more they're digging themselves in this hole that they're the ditch they're digging right now, I love it, actually. I think it's great. I'm like saying, please keep digging, you know. Um, it's, <laughs> it's, it's good for guys like us. You know, I, I am guilty of I, – I definitely – have a bias, and basically most everything I do is anti-establishment. So whether that's right-wing or left-wing establishment, I'm generally against it, okay? I'm against uh, bureaucracies, uh, technocracies, and essentially the establishment ruling over uh, the minions of the world. So that is my bias. And the the thing I see in mainstream press mark and i'm sure you see it too is it they're constantly protecting the establishment and i don't think i think the job personally i might be wrong the job of the press or the media is to challenge the establishment on behalf of the people um and i don't see that happening at all actually not at all and i see movements being co-opted hijacked uh, that are basically establishment movements that are portrayed as movements of the people we see through this um and we try to report and comment on it. So I, our stuff is very opinionated. But I you know I don't have tw- 12 departments and 26 editors on staff. So I can't afford to, you know, balkanize my organization in that way. Um, maybe one day if we were that big, we might have an op-ed department, a news department, and so forth. But we don't have that. We're sort of in one room at the moment. So, But um, that's yes. my th- thoughts on that. Exactly. I don't know if you have any more clips you want to play. Uh, we're just I, I have one, actually. I have one I want to play. This is Anne-Marie, okay? Okay, go right ahead. Yeah, we'll roll this one. This is Anne-Marie. I think it's uh, clip number three from the inauguration. Go ahead and roll that. Murray. And where are you from, Anne-Marie? Born in New Haven, live in Branford, Connecticut, right uh, east of it. Do you Thank come you. to the Capitol often? I haven't been here in this beautiful city since um, July of 2009 for my birthday. A little while. So what did you think of Donald J. Trump's inaugural speech? Oh, he hit every nail on the head. Just long enough, sincere, clear, perfect. I noticed he had sort of a sober effect, like he took it very seriously. I didn't notice a lot of, um, you know, he wasn't joking around. He, he took a serious, kind of a sober, serious, straight business uh, approach. Absolutely. It was extremely presidential, but very warm, which a president should be. Yeah, he's certainly not cold. Definitely not. Um, how about uh, his wife, Melania? How did you think she looked, and how did you think the whole family presented itself? Just lovely. I really couldn't see from where I was. I mean, I did get glimpses of the screen. Of course, I'll see it all taped at home. But um, they're always spectacular. They, they do look rather regal, don't they? Absolutely. Absolutely. Regal, elegant, but never uppity. Yeah, not snooty. You don't see much of that. Also, another gentleman mentioned that um, Donald Trump invoked God a little more this time than he might normally. Uh, What do you think of that? Oh, he certainly did. Um, I had the uh, pleasure of seeing um, the interview with Pat Robertson in October. He is a man of God. He's a believer, just like Mike Pence. And um, Paula White, um, I was very happy to see her um, amongst the um, uh, clergy. She's been to my own church. 
lover. Interesting, yeah. A lot of people, I think, in all the media buzz, all the static you get on some of the media, especially CNN, getting a lot of criticism these days, maybe don't hear about the Christian side of Donald Trump, what some see as him having a, uh, a faith that maybe he doesn't always reveal openly, or maybe people just don't talk about it. Yes, that's very true. But uh, to be honest with you, I'm just like Mike Pence. I'm a Christian, I'm a conservative, I'm a Republican in that order. And I know that there are two men of God that are at the helm to lead our country. And it really was a move of God. This whole election, it really was a move of God. The Christians came out of the woodwork. Uh, even Mr. Trump said in his um, acceptance speech uh, for the nomination, he wanted to thank the evangelical community for supporting him. He said, when I didn't deserve it. And I was home jumping up and down, said, it's all right, Donald. We're behind you. You did deserve it. A we little, love you. A little self-deprecation isn't so bad. Absolutely. He has a lot of humility, believe me. And Th you know, that's, that's the other word. Maybe humility was the word I was looking for. But a, a soberness, a, a humility, but not a coldness, not a calculating thing. Absolutely. And, you know, if you want to put it this way, that the speech was short and sweet, it was, uh, but not gushy sweet. Yeah, not, not too uh, syrupy, yes. Resolute. Resolute. Okay, thanks, Anne-Marie. My pleasure. Nice to meet you. Yeah, good. Okay, that was, a, that was interesting, Mark. You know, the, the God, um, he invoked God more than one time, I think three times. Yes. Four times, and and you know, coming from what a lot of people describe as kind of an atheistic um, regime, really uh, liberal, progressive, um, kind of very pro-atheist, um, you know, pro-abortion, pro this, pro that. Um, that's a big shift, isn't it? I mean, uh, and they were, you know, they said, "Oh, Donald Trump would never get the evangelicals." That's Ted Cruz and all this stuff during the primaries, and here we are. Yeah, it's it's at least some evidence that the media was wrong, again, on what you just said, predicting that whatever may happen, uh, Trump would not get much of the evangelical vote. Apparently, he got at least a sufficient amount that pushed him over the top. The media, of course, is still repeating that Hillary Clinton won the popular vote by over 2 million or something, a completely unverifiable number since most electronic voting machines, you can't even retrieve the ballots. They disappear into another world of, of uh, digitization, uh, a binary another world never to be seen again. So we can't verify Hillary's popular vote numbers at all. The media just repeats them. But yes, uh, of course, when it comes to religious beliefs, it's you can't get inside someone's head or their soul and see exactly how sincere they are, exactly how much God might mean to them, uh, exactly how serious of a Christian they may be. But it was a... Uh, a way that Donald Trump distinguished, distinguished himself be, compared to past speeches, excuse me, he, he brought things to a new level, to a new, a new tone, a new uh, subject like that, invoking God three times when you don't normally hear him talk that way. And so this, this was something that resonated with Anne-Marie and a lot of others. I heard him talking about it. Um, I have other recordings I didn't send them all in. But you know, it's it's another way that Trump is distinguishing distinguishing himself. Excuse me, along with this transfer power to the people, not just from one president to another, not just from one party to another, and and then dealing with this media that's allied with the deep state, the military-industrial media complex, and 
I wanted to just uh, expound on that just very briefly. You'll notice that through in the entire 20th century, Patrick, and into the 21st, we've had all these newspapers, entire forests being toppled to print these papers, ink spilled by the quadrillions of gallons to report all the news, and still the power establishment has grown unabated. We are now permanently at war. There's no such thing as beginning, middle, and end in a war anymore. Uh, the authorization to, to prosecute military force is passed from one president to the other without even being renewed. Uh, it's just a grant of power, just like Trade Promotion Authority. It's in Obama's hands. It'll be given to Trump without any con congressional input. The authorization to use military force will be given to Trump without any renewal by Congress. The, the baton is just passed. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you don't see the press challenging that, do you? That these no. grants of power that go from one president to the next are not are not renewed or reviewed very often. So the press, the entire press apparatus, has failed the American people for the entire 20th century. Yes. Going back, going back to the Spanish-American War, going back to the fact they never proved that Spain blew up the Maine in Havana Harbor. Yes. It's infuriating. Yes, they're, and the and the Gulf of Tonkin and yes. the, and nine eleven and the list goes on. Okay, so so you've identified the crux of the matter there, which I was trying to um, explain uh, earlier, which is that that's that's the establishment, that passing of the baton, that is the establishment, that is the ruling elite, and that is not being challenged. In fact, it's being um, it's being elevated and protected by the mainstream press. Um, and that is the fundamental problem. The alternative or independent media is challenging that, Mark. Um, yes. That's that's a big part of your work, uh, you know, consistently over the last decade is challenging that very thing which you just described right there. And that is the big d difference between the independent media uh, like yourself, like myself, like others and the mainstream media is they are not challenging that baton. They're not challenging that. No, and look what they're doing. Instead of challenging that, they're challenging a new president who is challenging that. Right, right. Now, See? now it, we got we got two minutes left, and before that, I just want you to get your word. Uh, a brilliant article on Davos, which you published at American Free Press. I I love it. I absolutely love it. Okay, we've well, reposted it at Twenty First Century Wire. So, what what was the mood at Davos like? In in just in the next two minutes, give us that in a nutshell. Well, even prior to Davos, uh, Richard Hass, leader of the CFR, and Ivo Dowdler, the head of the Chicago Council on Global Affairs, which is the CFR cousin in Chicago, they were on the Charlie Rose show. He's a frequent Bilderberg attendee, and so is Richard Hass, off and on, and um, so on and so forth. So even before Davos, they were on the Charlie Rose show, um, um, worried about the populist uprising, trying to assess it, talking about how it challenges the post uh, post Bretton Woods rules-based world order, this great trade and monetary regime that they've sewn together. And so they go, this this was carried over into Davos, and more of this worry was expressed that the uh, centralized government, the uh, internationalist system where they've sewn all these cultural and economic and political and military things together, that it's beginning to, uh, the seams are coming apart a bit, it's beginning to crumble a bit, they're worried about Donald Trump, Marie Le Pen, a little bit about Brexit and Nigel Farage. We can argue about how real Brexit is or what its real prospects are. That's another another conversation. But essentially, they're, they they believe that globalization is being deglobalized by 
the popular will of the people, and they, they were worried about it before Davos, going into it. They, they were worried about it at Davos. And here's, here's the clincher. They uh, admitted in the New York Times, in a, in a sort of indirect way, they admitted that there is this new world order, and there is this striving for world government, and now these guys are worried that they're not going to get it. And once again, just like with the voting machines, I'm going, wait a minute, you've been telling me for years that there is no such thing as an effort to make a world government, and there is no such thing as a new world order. And now you're telling me that you're admitting there's both, and they're worried that they're not going to get it. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's just astonishing. Are, are these people like, what are they smoking? Like you indicated earlier, you know, uh, I, I just don't know what they're thinking or if they're thinking. It could not just be smoking, Mark. It could be sniffing as well. So, uh, <laughs> but um, I, I saw Matt Damon uh, giving a presentation at Davos. I mean, so they, so you have all these overpaid hedge fund managers who basically make millions scamming people on paper fiat, um, paying fortunes to to get lectured to by overpaid actors and celebrity chefs like Jamie Oliver. You know, saying how his curry is going to save world hunger. You know, it's just ridiculous. <laughs> there's a whole bubble going on there. Yeah, there's some smart people there. I mean, they're not. Yeah, all yeah of course. Yeah, they're. Yeah, they're. They're. You know, the new world order isn't flatlining, and uh, uh, they've stolen our um, the creation of money. They've stolen that. They've instituted a system of usury where all money is created as debt. That's their main Death Star core weapon, and they've built the media around that uh, power of finance. And and there's some, you know, smart technicians there that have got some interesting ideas that are worth hearing on water preservation, on different things that we can agree are important. Uh, there's world hunger is important. There's there's a number of things. The problem isn't their knowledge or their expertise. The problem is their philosophy, that everything has to be this massive centralized internationalist system, uh, by and large. And so they make everything basically uh, so cumbersome and so unwieldy that you can't really do anything with it. So it ends up coming across largely, not totally, but largely as just pie-in-the-sky talk. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and, and along with the fact that they talk about, well, the way to help sick people is massive vaccination programs, absolutely unwilling to recognize the dangers inherent in a lot of our vaccines. They yeah, just... Yeah, and that that talk, of course, sponsored by Pfizer or something. You know, this is like, this is how it goes. Look, we run out of time, Mark. Um, fantastic work uh, at the inauguration. Great articles. We've got them up on 21st Century Wire and AmericanFreePress.net. The Truth Hound. Uh, dot. What's it? Is it the TruthHound.com or dot org? Yeah. Yeah, thetruthhound.com is the blog. Yeah, thanks. Okay, that, that's your blog, and uh, hopefully we'll you know we'll coordinate better, Mark, uh, with you and your work in the new year. Um, but great job uh, covering this inauguration. Fantastic work, and uh, we look we, we look forward to seeing more of it uh, as this really gets interesting in 2017. I know you're feeling that as well. Uh, so we're very very much prepared and ready to do battle uh, in this new year. Well, I appreciate that, Patrick. Yeah, there'll be a lot on the CIA uh, nominee, Mike Pompeo, the Kansas congressman. That vote is tomorrow, so stay tuned. There'll be a lot more. Okay, well, we'll definitely would love to get you back on the show, Mark, uh, as well uh, in the future uh, with more updates uh, and based on the stuff that you're writing as well. So great work. Thanks. You too. That's Mark Anderson, American Free Press. Uh, 
right straight from the, uh, the, the inner circle, the teal ticket at the inauguration. We're going to take a short break, and we're going to come back uh, with a live link to the Middle East. We've got a very short report with Stephen Sahuni. Uh, suicide bomb was thwarted in Beirut. This is huge news. We'll talk to him in a minute. I'm your host, Patrick Henningsen. We'll be right back after these short messages. Stay right there. time. Since 2009, 21st Century Wire has been a trusted source of alternative news with opinion, analysis, investigative reports, and features covering stories from North America to Europe to the Middle East and globally. In the last two years, we've grown dramatically. This year, we're expanding our programming and our reporting and adding to our team of dedicated contributors. But we need your help. There is a way you can support us. Go to 21wire.tv and click on 21wire membership to find out more about how you can help support our platform by subscribing and becoming a member. In return, we promise to keep it independent and keep it real. But that's not all. By subscribing to 21wire.tv, members will get access to more premium content like virtual private screenings of new documentaries and short films and get inside access to members' podcasts like On the QT with Patrick Henningsen. And also, you can see our new morning commute show, Drive-By-Wire with Sean Helton, as well as our new geopolitical current affairs series, Insight, shot in high definition. By becoming a member, you're also helping to support the Sunday Wire radio show, as well as all our great reporting at 21stCenturyWire.com. There's more. Members will also gain access to our fortnightly Members Situation Report newsletter, as well as special discounts on all 21 Wire merchandise up at our online store, Shop 21. Subscribe and become a member at 21wire.tv. 